It'd be foolish of me to give you some sort of a message a day that if you just give your life to Christ, that things are going to magically work out. No, sometimes they get actually harder. When you look at Scripture and you turn the pages and you comb the pages of Scripture, you'll see one example after another of people that gave their lives to Christ for the cause of the gospel as they looked towards the cross in the Old Testament and back towards the cross in the New Testament, and things didn't work out real well. Our goal is not that our life would work out well. Our goal is that our lives would rest in Jesus. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you and We just ask that you would speak to us today as we open your word. God, we pray that you administer to our hearts to those that are weary. We pray that you would uplift them, encourage them, strengthen them. For those of us today that are perhaps backslidden, God, I pray we'll be challenged as we launch into a new year. I pray we will seek to live for you all the days of our lives. So God, I just ask that as we open your word, would you remove any oppression in the room today? We renounce the schemes of the enemy and we just press into you. And so speak to us, God. Word of God, speak. Fall down like rain. God, move me out of the way so that we just hear you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you and you alone, my rock and my redeemer. And so do the work today and do it now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 5, looking at verses 7 and 8 here today. And as you're turning there, has anyone in the church house today ever been through some element of suffering? Raise your hand if you've been through some element of suffering. Yeah, we all have, haven't we? Uh, Life is not easy. It's hard. Uh, Sometimes suffering is inflicted upon us. And yet the reality is there's sometimes, in some occasions, that the suffering is self-inflicted. And the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel transcends our suffering. That in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, that God can take that mess and truly create the message. Amen? And all about you, but uh, I bank on that. That's what I cling to, that God will take my poor decisions, my poor choices, my poor behavior at times, and that He'll take that mess 
and through sanctification will create a glorious message that can attest to a lost and dying world that because He lives, we can face today and we can face tomorrow. Amen? Well, here in James chapter 5, we're looking at two verses, and here's what James writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 7 and 8. He says this, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now look at verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Don't miss that. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now jump up in your Bible there to chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what we studied last week and asking that question, does, does money own us? The week before we looked at, does our schedule own us? And last week we looked at, does money own us? Are we enslaved to the intoxicating grip of money? Easy to fall into. Well, here's what James said in verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And then all of a sudden, he says, be patient. You know, it's interesting when you read James, because he does kind of jump around a bit, and we kind of call it the, the Proverbs of the New Testament, where you see a thought, and maybe you look at another thought, and you don't see the dots connecting so much. And perhaps he is with a flowing thought here, addressing in that day, that culture, that part of their persecution, and by the way, we know these were Jewish believers going under persecution. We know that as they were enduring this, perhaps part of that was that there were those that were wealthy that were abusing and manipulating, and that can happen. And perhaps that's the case here. But we know from a holistic standpoint that they're under persecution. And so if we take that viewpoint, we can clearly identify here that in the midst of persecution, there has to be an element of patience and suffering. When you look at this, it's very intriguing to me when he says be patient. In the original language, he's not suggesting He's not saying, hey, if you get around to it, if you feel like it, he's saying, be patient. Now, is there anyone besides me that struggles with being patient? It's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. There is something about being impatient that is just a natural reflex. Like, we don't have to get up every morning and go, I'm going to work on being impatient. Now, I'm really good at it. I know how to do this. It's part of my sinful flesh. It's a natural reflex in my flesh 
that often happens when two things, when I don't get what I want and I'm frustrated. And I can begin to be impatient. James says here, in the midst of your persecution, he says, be patient. Now, what does it mean to be patient? Well, think about it in this context. So you could say long-suffering. You could say even persevering. You could go even a little bit deeper here when you unpack that in the Greek there, that you could say persevering in troubles and not losing heart. Do you typically lose heart when you have great hope? When do you lose heart? When you seem as though all hope is gone, right? It's hard to be patient, to persevere, to be long-suffering, to stay the course, to not lose heart when your hope is not sustaining you. That's the struggle with earthly life. We're all on this treadmill looking for something to dull the pain and fill the void of life, And we often, myself included, put things in there, even people in there, that can never dull that pain and never fill that void. We all have a hole in our heart, and it's shaped like a cross. And the only thing, the only person that will satisfy the wounds of the past, the hurts of today, and the pain of tomorrow is Jesus. That's why your key number one is so important. Write this down, key number one in your notes. And listen closely. The loving devotion, don't miss those two words, the loving devotion to the object of our patience typically dictates the level of our patience. Let me say this again. The loving devotion to the object of our patience typically dictates the level of our patience. Let me explain this. We have loving, we have devotion, and as there's loving devotion in this process going on, a loving devotion, we'll use the word agape. So a love that loves not because of, but a love that loves in spite of. Devotion will say surrender, will say commitment to. So a God-centered love that's devoted to the object, and we all have an object. Every one of us has an object here in mind. The object of this patience will then dictate the level of the patience. If my object for my patience is that simply my circumstances will change, the level of my patience is going to be up and down, isn't it? Why? Not a trick question, because my circumstances go up and down, right? But when we're anchored to the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, the one who's the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't change. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. When we're anchored to him, then our patience, my patience, will be what it should be. Now, this is interesting because I want to put out a disclaimer here, and you're going to hear me say this multiple times today. In human relationships, extending patience, listen closely, 
does not mean turning a blind eye to sin. It's not what we're saying here. Now, we're going to explain this a little deeper in a moment. But it doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin. I must deal with my own sin. You must deal with your own sin. You must help me deal with my sin. I must help you deal with your sin. That's what a church body does. But we've got to be careful on this. Because the opposite of patience is impatience. And again, often the underlying factors. Remember, we've got to get to the root. We talk about this. There's always root. There's always root there in the ground. Whatever the struggle is that you're seeing on the outside always has roots down deep. And the roots sink deep into the soil of our hearts. And if we don't get to the roots, we'll never deal with the issue. I might be frustrated. I might not be getting what I want. Is that the real root issue? I must ask myself. You know, you think through this, and it's interesting as John MacArthur made this powerful statement when he said this. He said, Christ's likeness is the substance of spiritual dedication. I love that. Let me say that again. Christ's likeness is the substance, is the faithfulness, the fidelity, the aletheia, the truth of what? Of spiritual dedication. What we're dedicated to will then give fruit of that dedication. If I'm dedicated to, to fishing, which fishing's not a bad thing, uh, prayerfully I will catch a lot of fish. You know, what we're dedicated to will then produce a fruit, will produce something, a byproduct. You know, when you think through that, why do we get so frustrated? Why do I get frustrated? Well, again, it goes back to the me monster, the me planet, the me universe. I don't get what I want, and so there becomes a growing impatience. It begins to simmer, the volcano begins to rise, the cork explodes, and I've been there, regrettably. I was thinking about this object of our desire, and I couldn't help but think of Matthew. Write this down, Matthew 14, Matthew 14, 25 through 33, and I think this is one of the greatest illustrations in all of Scripture, because I don't know if there's a more universal struggle amongst believers than impatience. Well, some of us get really angry, but some of us don't. And on and on we can go. Some of us are bitter, some of us aren't. But this impatience thing, we live in the West where everything is chop, 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 microwave Christianity, get this thing done. And discipleship is hard, it's messy, it takes time. You have to get in the trench with the people and smell like the sheep. And as you think through that thought of this Matthew 14, I guess the question really is there, when James says be patient until the coming of the Lord, is there any more wonderful, easy command you've heard today than be patient? It's hard, isn't it? Well, it's all about the object of our desire. And here it is in Matthew 14. Here's what it says on the screen. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost. Now, can you relate to that? They cried out in fear. But immediately, I love that, without delay, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. Did you catch this? Part of the definition of patience is not losing heart. And here Jesus is saying, look, it's I, don't be afraid, take heart. He's saying, don't lose heart. No matter what you're dealing with, you reader back in James's day who's being persecuted, you today who's reading the Word of God, no matter what you're dealing with on your horizon, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid, but you got to keep looking at me, Jesus says. And Peter answered him. (laughs) I always chuckle when I read that. And Peter answered him. Surprise, surprise. Peter opened his mouth. I know you're shocked. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Doesn't that sound just like Peter? I don't remember when I read this text over and over, I don't see anywhere in here where Jesus says, ask me that question. This is just Peter. This is what Peter does, right? Bold Peter. And by the way, have you ever wondered when you read that what everyone else in the boat is thinking? They're probably going, oh no. Here goes Peter again. First one out of the boat, first one to chop off ears. Here he goes. Well, what happens? So Peter got out of the boat. Pretty cool, isn't it? And he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But when he saw the wind, he was what? Afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, without delay, reached out his hand. That's what Jesus does, doesn't he? And he took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, truly, truly, you are the Son of God. What an incredible account of what it looks like to have the object of our patience and how that dictates the level of our patience and our faith. Here Peter is. He says, I'll get out of the boat. I'll come to you. And he's doing really well, isn't he? He's on the water. He is walking on the water. And before you get out of the boat, you got to make this decision. All of us do. Are we going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus no matter what comes our way? The challenge in life so many times is we step out of His will, don't we? It's easy to do. I've done it more times than I would like to admit. And it's a beautiful thing that even when we step outside of God's will, there's still forgiveness, there's still redemption, still cleansing, purifying. But when we step out of His will, there are always consequences. And we want to be careful about this because the consequences that I've learned in my own broken life that have extended to my family are not just singular, but they're always corporate. Don't buy into the lie that, hey, if I step out of God's will, that's not going to hurt anybody. It's going to hurt a bunch of people. 
Disobedience has great ramifications. Sin is never passive as far as the consequences. Sin is never passive as far as the harm. It always creates great destruction. And here Peter is getting out of the boat, and what happens? He's sinking, and Jesus, like only Jesus can do, he saves him, and at the same point, rebukes him. He's like, why do you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. What he's really saying here is, why did you take your eyes off me? See, this key number one is so important. The loving devotion, the godly love that surrendered to the object of our patience, our perseverance, our steadfastness, typically dictates the level of that steadfastness. When we look to Jesus, as the song says, we turn our eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory, His grace, not in my circumstances changing. So many times people go, if I just, you know, raise the hand and say the prayer and do the cartwheel and sign the card and get dunked, that life's going to magically just work out. And the reality is this, the reality is this, sometimes life actually gets harder It'd be foolish of me to give you some sort of a message a day that if you just give your life to Christ, that things are going to magically work out. No, sometimes they get actually harder. When you look at Scripture and you turn the pages and you comb the pages of Scripture, you'll see one example after another of people that gave their lives to Christ for the cause of the gospel as they looked towards the cross in the Old Testament and back towards the cross in the New Testament, and things didn't work out real well. Our goal is not that our life would work out well. Our goal is that our lives would rest in Jesus. And yet, that's hard to do, isn't it? Because it's so easy as Peter experienced when he saw the wind. Did you catch that? He saw it. He saw the storm. And what happens when we see something in our mind's eye? We begin now to process it, don't we? And we go, wait a minute, this is not good. i got to go do something. I'm going to panic. I'm going to fear. I'm going to worry. I'm going to fret. Instead of Jesus over in the corner going, hey, I'm over here. I'm right here. And it's so easy to take our eyes and our loving devotion off of Christ. I was thinking about Abraham and Sarah as an example of what it looks like to be impatient. Remember, God came to Abram and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And that was kind of a a mind-boggling announcement, right? Abraham wasn't uh, overly young. And he said, here, just obey and just trust me. And you know the account. So Abram and Sarah said, hey, wait a minute. We're old, and we're not sure how this is really going to work out, so let's go ahead and take this under our own hands, and we got our own plan. Great example of how God still blessed the process and the promise, but even to this day, when you see what we're reaping from that disobedience, there's always consequences, always. Look at verse 7 as it goes on and says this in James 5. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He's saying here, see, in other words, look, embrace, like latch on to this 
And then he gives an illustration like he always does. You see this throughout James. He'll, he'll say something, and then he begins to paint a picture so we can really begin to internalize. And he goes, okay, we're talking about being patient for the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, and being enduring to the end. Being a person that endures is not bending, not buckling, not breaking, but says, I'm going to stand tall for the gospel. And he goes, okay, if you're not really getting this, let me give you an illustration. He goes, look at the farmer. The farmer. You just think about that. Look at the farmer. What does a farmer do? Well, they often till the ground, remove the weeds. They get in there, remove all the rocks, and uh, they, they unearth the soil so that it's fresh, so that it's fertile. They plant the seeds. They fertilize. They pray for rain. Amen? And he talked about this, that there's those early and those late rains, and the farmer has to be patient. You have to be patient to be a farmer because you're waiting on this. You're waiting on the Lord to provide the rain. You're, you're waiting for sometimes once and twice a year to get your pay for the whole year. There's a lot of endurance that goes on. And James says, look, here's the illustration I want to connect this to, that I want you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be patient to endure your suffering. So key, so key. He says, I want you to be patient and endure your suffering. Embrace your suffering is what he's saying, so that you can, like the farmer, I love this, wait for the precious fruits. I don't miss this. So if you're a true believer here today, there should be in your life the fruit of the Spirit. Not an option. True believers have this. And it's precious. Matter of fact, when you look at that word precious, it literally means of great value and dear. So for you and I, the true believer, the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit is working in us should be precious and it should be held dear. We should be like, this is my life. My life's no longer my own. I want to live for the King. I want to live a life that when people see me, they don't even see me. All they see is Christ in me, the hope of glory, as the Word of God dwells in me richly. And as that happens prayerfully, you and I will get out of the way, and all they will see is the fruit of the Spirit on full display. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about that, the fruit, the produce, the result of, the effect of. This being patient. That's why key number two is important as well. And it says this, key number two, patience towards God is a byproduct of trusting in God. Key number two, patience towards God is a byproduct of trusting in God. So we have this towards God, that's a byproduct of trusting in Again, fruit of the Spirit. Think about Galatians. Write it down, Galatians 5. 
22 through 23. And here's what the Word says. But the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, is, here we go, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's quite a list, isn't it? When I read that in preparation, I thought, I'm struggling on number one. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is another example that for the true believer, not just the church attender, I'm talking about the true believer in Christ who's given their life to the Lord to use for His praise, His glory, this is more evidence that we can't live this life in our own strength. You can't manufacture, I can't manufacture a work of the Holy Spirit. I can try to be good, I can try to be patient and loving, and peaceful, and joyful, and kind, and faithful, and on and on we go. I can't do it. At some point, it's going to break down. This just shows how in dire need we are of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the whole point of the gospel. We can't fix ourselves. That's why Christ came. How about John chapter 15, which I believe further backs this up. John 15, 1 through 8, because when we're living in impatience, and again, this is a struggle of mine that the Lord continues to work on in my life. Prayerfully, I'm killing it and going to war against it each day. When I'm walking in impatience, I'm not walking in the Spirit. I don't miss this. So when we are walking in impatience, we know that a fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, but a fruit, the production of living in the Spirit is this fruit, these evidences. It gives evidence that we're really a true believer. Because of this, when you dive deep into the Scriptures, you see very clearly that when I, when you are walking in a habitual impatience, we're not walking in the Spirit. I mean, you can go to church 24-7, 365, and the bottom line is you're either walking in the Spirit or not. And there's moments where, yes, we all slip and slide, don't we? And prayerfully, when we do, we'll be convicted, I'll be convicted, and we will get our life back on that track by the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayerfully, from the time that we sin to the time we repent, as we're being sanctified and growing in Christ's likeness, that time prayerfully will get shorter and shorter and shorter between sin and repentance. You say, well, how do we get there? Well, here it is, John 15, 1 through 8. Here it is. It says this, I, Jesus, I am the true vine. Notice he didn't just say, I'm the vine. I believe he put that in there intentionally because he knows there's many false vines out there that are jockeying for our attention. I am the definite article. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Hmm. Why? That it may bear more fruit. 
So pause there for a moment. So have you guys ever pruned something in your yard? Or maybe you drove by a yard and you, know, you drove by and you're like, oh, good grief, what happened there? I mean, you drive by and you're like, that looks hideous. It's horrible. Well, what happens in the springtime after that pruning took place, it now produces, doesn't it? You're like, wow, it's amazing to think two months ago it looked like this, and now, whoo, it's beautiful. That's the imagery here, that I, you are being pruned. As we are being sanctified, we're being pruned. That's what God is doing. He's pruning us. He goes on and says this. This is key now. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I love that. Now, verse 4, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Don't miss that. Let me read that again. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There it is. I am the vine. He's repeating this is important. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what, church? Nothing. Zero, not a nilch. If anyone does not abide in me, here we go, he is a, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, don't miss that, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. That's not prosperity gospel, by the way. When you and I begin to abide, we meno, we anchor to, we're tethered to Jesus, our desires are now His desires for us. We're not trying to strong arm Him and change His will. We now conform to His will. And so what happens through this process If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, you'll be done by this. Here we go, church. My Father is what? Glorified. It's our number one goal here, you know, in Baptist church. That's our number one goal here. And all that we do, we want to glorify God. And look at number two there, that you bear much fruit and so prove there's evidence of to be my disciples. Here's the cliff notes. Our job is not to produce the fruit. Our job is to stay tethered to Jesus. That's it. If you and I just stay tethered to Jesus in every situation, the fruit will be born because we can't produce it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Where we get into trouble is we put Jesus back in his cage and say, hey, I got this, I'll take over. And now we've got a mess on our hands, don't we? Do you see how important this key number two is? Patience towards God is a byproduct of trusting in God. Because the reality is we often seek our rest, and I'm guilty of this, in everything other than Jesus. And He's the only true rest giver for our souls. Look at verse 8. Here's what verse 8 says. James writes, you also be patient. Uh Uh-oh, he's repeating this. But then he says this phrase, establish your hearts. Why? For what? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he says, you also, so he's repeating, be patient command, not suggestion. 
Be long-suffering, persevere in troubles, don't lose heart, don't bend, don't buckle, don't break. Establish, though, is very key. He says, establish what? Your hearts. What does that mean to establish your hearts? Well, it means this, to make stable, to fix, to make firm, to be resolute, to not be moved. So if you begin to make a plan, assuming it's God's will, you always want to be flexible to His will and hold it loosely, but you want to be real careful because as you're in your plan, if God is saying, keep pressing on, but on the front end, you've already decided mentally in your mind that, hey, when things get hot, I'm running out of the kitchen this is not a good thing. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have thelipsis. You will have tribulation. You will have pressure. This life is a broken, fallen, depraved world. And because of that, we are constantly under pressure. We are being squeezed. We are being pushed together like a vice. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have pressure. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, Good luck. Hope it works out for you. No, what did he say in John 16, 33? But be of good cheer. Now, that's insanity of the flesh, isn't it? Think about this. He goes, here's the deal. Uh, in this world, you're going to have a whole lot of trouble. But keep smiling. How do you smile in the midst of the pain? How do you be joyful in the midst of the difficulty? You, you get the health report. The finances are eroding, the relationships are dissolving, your back's against the rope, you're constantly just unraveling at the seams. How do you be joyful in this? Well, Jesus said it right there in John 16, In this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. I think so often, and I'm guilty of this, we base our contentment on what might happen when we need to base our contentment on what Jesus already did. You think through this thought and as you weave through this key number three, write this down. When we realize how patient God is with us, How can we not be patient with other people and in our circumstances? Let me read that again. Key number three. When we realize how patient God is with us, how can we not be patient with other people and in our circumstances? So here's a thought going back to this establishing. I would say in the West, in America... We do a really good job of living this life on this continuum of we work, 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 all these years, and we're planning, and we're looking ahead, and we're longing for this small little increment of time called the golden years. And then we work, and we stash away, and we're working, 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 working for this little bitty time. 
But the question dawned on me as we establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord, that He's coming back. How much time do we spend preparing for eternity? We'll work and work and save and save, and we're just waiting to get to that little spot in our lives of X number of years, and yet how much time are we investing for all eternity? You know, when I wrote down key number three, that really convicted me personally and really rung my bell. And that's why, again, the disclaimer in these human relationships that we all have that get messy, that we know it's all about James 3.16, where selfishness and envy exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. That's it right there. The patience, though, that we must extend does not give us a green light to turn a blind eye towards sin. That's insanity. It's stupidity. And people have confronted me and grateful for that to help me in my journey. Think about for a moment Matthew 18. Write it down, Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Just write that down as I read it. It's on the screens as well. But just process this for a moment about extending patience towards others when we begin to realize how patient God is with us. So here's what the Word says in Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. That's a whole heap of change is what that is. Literally, many theologians argue you couldn't pay it back. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So there's a great example that sin and its consequences are never singular, but they're corporate in nature. 26, so the servant fell on his knees. Do you blame him? Imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave. So he released and then he forgives, he pardons, he sets free. There's this debt that could not be paid. Couldn't happen. And he says, I'm going to forgive you. And what happened next? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii about a day's wage or so. So think about this. There's a debt that cannot be paid, a day's wage. He gets forgiven and pardoned, and he goes, you know what? I got an idea. I'm going to go like a heat-seeking missile, and I'm going to go take vengeance on someone else who owes me something. Not a good idea. And what happens? Well, here it is. He began to choke him, okay? Again, don't recommend that either saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I will repay you. He refused though. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw, don't miss that, when they saw what had taken place. See, when we're sinning, people are seen. 
They're observing us in action. And what happens? They saw it, and they go do what? They're greatly distressed when they saw this, and they said and went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summons him, uh uh-oh, dad's home, right? And said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you see this? But we're so eager to embrace the grace of God, to embrace the patience of God towards us, are we as equally eager to extend it to other people? Again, not endorsing sin, but there's an element in there where we do show the grace and the mercy and the love and the patience towards other people. I mean, if behind me on these screens is every sin I've committed in my lifetime, we'd be here a while, amen? If all of your sin was scrolling behind the screen, we'd be here a while. Aren't you glad that God looks at the screen of our life And when we give our life to Christ and we trust in the royal righteous blood of King Jesus, He casts our sin as far as the east, as to the west, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is now well with our soul. We must extend that same grace and mercy and patience towards others. So here's the takeaway question. It's a simple one, and it goes something like this. Am I a patient person? Am I a patient person? Just answer honestly. Uh, By the way, this isn't bragging. Uh, For me, it's excruciating because I struggle in this deeply. God is really working on me in this area. It's a sobering question. But answer honestly. Don't blame shift. Don't make excuses. Don't deny it. Just answer honestly and prayerfully, the healing will begin in all of our lives. Because I believe, as alluded to earlier, that impatience in the American church especially is one of those rationalized, justified, respectable sins. Oh, that's just, the, that's just the way they are. That's just the way the pastor is. That's just one of his idiosyncrasies. No, it's sin. Just call it what it is. We don't get a free pass on sin. You say, well, what do we do? Well, how about the action step? Write this down. By the power of the Holy Spirit, don't miss that, that's the key. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will intentionally seek today, not tomorrow, not next week, like right now, to become more patient. Think about that, to become, to grow, to become more patient with other people and in my circumstances. Let me say that again, action step. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will intentionally seek today to become more patient with other people and in my circumstances. The reality is we never stumble into patience. I stumble into impatience very easily. It's part of my sin nature, my depraved flesh. No one has to teach me to be impatient I have to war against it. I have to go to war. I have to be very intentional every day to to kill it and to put it to death. 
And again, as we never stumble into that, I think part of the key really to be blunt is if you struggle with impatience, like I do, the key is that we must just take our minds off ourselves. There's a selfishness underlying there, that me monster, me planet, me universe. There's frustration often. I'm not getting what I want. This wasn't the plan. I've got to take my mind off myself. And by the way, when you take this into the, the gathering called the corporate church, I think it's important to remember for all of us that church is not our personal playground so we can selfishly get what we want and acquire the affirmation and validation that perhaps we never received. It's not what church is. I've seen this happen way too many times. Someone hasn't been validated and affirmed growing up and they get inside a church and wreak just great destruction as they're looking to get the attaboys. No, it's all about denying self. That's the whole point of the gospel. Paul said, I die daily. It's no longer I, but it's Christ. Jesus said, if you really want to come after me, deny yourself, deny me, deny you. Take up that cross and, and follow me, Jesus says. I'm sure you're asking or thinking to yourself, are there any other scriptures that can help me in this journey? We'll write these down. Here they are. I'm going to give you several as we close. Just write them down. Romans 12, 12. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Did you catch that? Be patient. Be constant in prayer. So there's a rejoicing. There's a being patient. A constancy in prayer. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, do you catch this? When the time is right, when God's will is ready to be unfolded in due season, we will reap, just like that farmer, if we do not give up. 100% of people who quit don't achieve their goals. It's just too easy. The exit ramp, they're everywhere, and we're looking for them. i got to find an exit ramp. I don't like pain. I get it. I don't either. God has called us to a mission. Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't you love that? There's a waiting and a renewal. A waiting and a renewal. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 130, verse 5. Psalm 130, verse 5. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. Did you catch that? I will wait for you, God. Whatever your timing is, I'll wait for you. And I'm not going to hope in my circumstances. I'm going to hope in your Word because your Word is true. Your promises are true. Romans 5, 3-5. Romans 5, 3-5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Counterculture to the human mind, isn't it? Knowing, there's a confidence here, knowing that suffering produces endurance, produces patience. And endurance or patience produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch that? 
There's a producing going on here. We rejoice. We know confidently the suffering is going to produce the patience. The patience is producing character. We're growing in Christ's likeness. And character produces hope. Not a hope that I wish for or crossing my fingers. No, a hope that says, I know my Redeemer lives. Though He may slay me, yet I will trust in you. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord as you catch that church. See, waiting is this. I know this. Waiting is truly work to the flesh. It's work. None of this comes easy for any of us. It's work to the flesh. But in the midst of your waiting, my waiting, we can worship. We're working in the flesh because it's hard, but we're worshiping the Lord. And in the end, it will be worth it all. Amen? But we must not give up. Because lastly, Matthew 24, 13 says it like this. But the one who endures, the one who stays the course, the one who's patient to the end will be saved. See, it doesn't matter, church, how you start. I hear this way too often. I was seven years old, got baptized. I started the race. Praise Jesus. How's the race going? There is no longer a race. Not a good sign. It's not how we start. It's how we run and ultimately how we finish. How are you running your race? We all have a race we've been called to individually. Are you running? Are you patiently enduring? I pray as the Lord speaks to you and me today, there'll be ones that run and run with vigor For the joy that was set before Him, Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now He sits at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Holy Father, we do come before You. God, I just pray as we look to You in a new year, in the midst of a country that's in such chaos, the divided states of America, Truly, the divided states of America, to be blunt. One nation under self. A virus crisis. God, I just pray that whatever lies ahead in 21, that we'll be all in for Your glory. That we'll patiently run this race knowing it's all about Your glory and Your fame. And so God, as You speak to our hearts today, God, I pray that we would sense Your presence like never before. God, I pray that the object of our desire and affection would be You and You alone. And when we understand that You really are the great I Am, that there's none other, there's rest, There's comfort. There's peace. There's joy. Lord, do something right now as we worship You, as we bow before You, as we honor You, as we exalt Your name, as we give You the glory that You're due. Stir in our hearts in a powerful way. 
Don't allow us to be the same as when we walked in this room today, but leave us changed. Help us to leave here changed. Change people on a mission for your mission. The greatest mission trip culminated on a hill called Calvary. God, I pray that our lives would no longer be our own. That they'd be living sacrifices all the days of our lives to make a difference, to win the loss at any cost. Don't allow us to get to the end of our lives having wasted a life. But help us starting today to live every breath, every moment. To live a message with our lives of what you did, Jesus, as you rescued us and saved us. God, we give you the praise during this time of invitation. May you stir, may you work. Don't allow us to rebel, but help us to turn everything over to you today and to begin to walk into freedom. God, we love you. We treasure you. We worship you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.